our great God, we, we are humbled to be in your presence again tonight, Lord. And uh, you live in us. We are the body of Christ, and we are grateful for that high and lofty standing that you have given us by your grace, Lord. And uh, thank you for Keith and Karen. Thank you for what they have brought to us at New Life this weekend. And Lord, what we heard this morning and how we were challenged to love all kinds of people, and uh, in particular um, Muslims, Lord, and to just hear the things that we actually share in common with Muslim people was very enlightening. Lord, to, uh, to be challenged to get into their lives and open up conversations and take an interest in them and not give in to fear. Hmm. Lord, it was a great challenge. And Lord, help us to take it to heart that, uh, that we might be changed, Lord, that there might be transformation that takes place within us as well as in our community. So thank you. And uh, we certainly invite you into the room here tonight to make your presence felt among us. Lord, have your way here tonight in everything that's said. May we be uh, humble and teachable before you. And uh, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let me ask this. You are um, a white Anglo mm. guy. And, didn't uh, have a choice. Really didn't have a choice. <laughs> I understand that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm getting ready to take really my first mission trip to the other side of the world here in November and and. You know, people are saying to me, you know, Americans have a tremendous platform just by virtue of being Americans. Mm -hmm. And um, do you, have you, are you experiencing that in your setting? And, and how does that impact the way you do ministry? Yeah, I think we do experience it. Um, and it's a love-hate, especially in France, it's a love-hate relationship with the United States. Um, it's a big brother type thing. Now, I never had a big brother. I was the big brother. But if big brother walks into the room and says, this is what you need to do, little sister or little brother goes, get that down. <laughs> However, if you walk in and say, I really need your help, and I know that you can do this, and that's why I'm coming to ask you, usually sister or little brother says, well, of course, I can help. And so when you have what used to be a major power in the world becoming the little brother over a number of years, there's this love-hate thing going back and forth. Then we throw the North African in on that who is trying to figure out how to get out of where they are. And sometimes you go, do you want to be my friend because I'm American or do you want to be my friend because I'm me? And that can be, as, at one side it can be a pull. We are, North, we are Americans in France, so all of a sudden we're foreigners like the North African. That gives us a bond that's amazing because we don't have any agenda to pull then we can sit in this thing and talk back and forth of what it looks like. If you've never been a minority, it's really cool, it's really funky to be a minority. You don't realize how much of a majority, when we're white Anglo-Saxons, how much of a majority we are and how we come across to people. We don't mean to. It's natural. But we do. When you're the minority, oof, I mean, we've been there for 20 years, I'm still the American. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, when I left in the United States, gas was 69 cents a gallon. I don't know what this stuff about... About, about what it is now. And milk was so cheap, I look at stuff and go out to eat with Karen. I go, kid, night, it's getting expensive over here. Well, according to, our, according to our standards, it's not. But according to what we remember when we left. And so, yes, there's, there's an advantage and a disadvantage. And the question that, you, that, we, uh, that I ask a lot is, are you coming for me, or are you trying to get a ticket to go to the United States? Yeah. Now, that doesn't make a difference. They're going to come, so now we get to talk. And we'll worry about that later on down the road. So in one respect, yes, it's an attraction. 
And it can help in another respect. I've got to be careful that I don't come across too strong because then I fall into this big brother, little brother thing and it's like, there you are trying to tell us what to do again. Or you think you have it all. Or you think you're the strongest. Or you think you're the greatest. I'm like, oh, well, I didn't mean to come across that way, but you know what? Mm, sometimes I do, don't I? So do Westerners just have this superiority complex as kind of a, yes. a default mindset, yes. do you think? Especially, especially where we think that money makes the world go around. I mean, we're kind of flabbergasted by people who don't think that. So we see it in France when the American tourist comes, like, I'm paying for this meal. Well, we did it. We went out to eat with Steve and Beth. And Beth doesn't like her steak except well done. And so she, uh, she said, I like my steak well done. And the maitre d' said, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> we all went, what? We're paying for this. Make it well done. He said, I'm not doing it. We're paying for it. Well, you don't have to eat here. <laughs> What's going on here? But we come over with that kind of an attitude that says, hey, stupid, I'm paying for this. Get out of my way. That doesn't go over too well. So that, and that comes across like I'm a very arrogant, snobby person. Or what we also do is help people understand how well they don't speak English by yelling at them in English. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. But there's an arrogance that comes along. It's like, well, the whole world speaks English. I mean, after all, we are running the world, aren't we? No. No, we're not. But we think we are. So we come across and, and we yell at them, do you speak English? It's like, I'm not deaf. <laughs> and I do speak a little bit. And then we go, and they go, and they can't keep up with us. What's the matter with you anyway? I'm paying for this meal, do this and do that. Those are the things that come across extremely arrogant. So when we come over as believers and begin to break those stereotypes, like, what's going on here? And you can see it, but it takes a little bit of time. So we go back to the same places to eat. We go back to the same people. We have the same people back into our house. We talk to the same shopkeepers that are along the way. We go to the same places. And after a while, they start saying, you know what? You are different. What's going on here? And somebody's, uh, two people have come up to me already tonight and said, you know what, we can apply what you're talking about where we are. And yes, you can. I think sometimes the way we think we have done evangelism in the past has just been throw stuff at them. Handing out tracts is not bad. We do it. You come to my world, we're going to ask you to do it. But it's not that. I want to hand out tracts so that people come back and say, can we talk? And that's where I believe the relationship begins and we can see what happens. So it sounds like they kind of expect us to be arrogant when we come over. Uh, businessmen and the way that the world has been treated, yes, they do. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons why Obama was at least looked upon as a savior, because at least you're not going to bomb me if, I, if you don't agree with me. Now, what, all the reasoning, throw it all aside, because they don't care. They're not thinking like we think. They think like they think. And they think, okay, so if you don't like me, you're going to bomb me. Well, that stinks, because I can't do anything against your bombs. Well, I don't like that. Well, what about all the reasoning? They don't care about the reasoning. I just... I just Take the reasoning away. Watch what's going on on the outside and say, wait a minute, if I was on the other side, what would I think? But you've got to understand. No, I don't have to understand. I'm the one getting hurt here. So we come across with a certain type of arrogance without even meaning it. And we're fix-it people. How many people enjoy living with a problem? Not your spouse. Living with a problem at home. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Am I getting too real here? <laughs> The, we want to fix it. If there's a problem, let me fix it. If there's a problem with the computer, I'll show you how to do that. Let me, let me sh why do we have to fix it? We have people to fix it, so why should I have to fix it? Let the people that are supposed to fix it fix it. But we want to fix it, so we come across as know-it-alls. Without even knowing it, we come across that way. Those are cultural problems that we have back and forth. And cultural communication says, where is truth? 
so that people receive truth and not culture. And that's very difficult. Live within three cultures for a longer period of time and you begin to realize what's going on. Sometimes that gets a little shaky because your groundwork is like, this is truth and it's not truth. And you find out it's not truth and you start going, well, then what's truth and what's not truth? God's truth is there and it surpasses culture. However, some of the ways we think, a very easy one, a very easy one. Now, maybe it's not this way, but when we left the United States, if something starts at 6, you're usually here at 5 minutes to 6, usually, so that you can be on time. All right, maybe not church, but at least work. Um, We have to be there on time because God is orderly, and God is interested in order that things function well. I'm that, sorry, you that's said that's changing. Go. That's changing, by the way, in our culture. Okay, all right. But what happens then is we come over and say, well, how come you can't get on time? We start at 10 o'clock. That usually means that Karen and I are making coffee <laughs> at 10 o'clock. The church service starts at 10.30, which usually means that everybody will get there about 10 minutes to 11. The church service ends when we're done. We don't care about that because <laughs> we're together. And that's the way it works. But I could come at and say, you know, if you really were concerned about other people and didn't want other people waiting for you and you weren't so arrogant, you'd come on time. Now, am I speaking truth or am I speaking culture? Hmm, that's an easy one. There's some harder ones that are out there too. But that's an easy one to start thinking, okay, where is culture? So then I'm talking to somebody from the Middle East and I said, in America, if we say 6 o'clock and you're not there by 6.10, I'm usually calling you to make sure you're okay. In France, if we say 6 o'clock, it's usually 6.15. By 6.25 or so, I'm calling you 6.30 to make sure you're okay. So if we have a meeting at 6 o'clock in the evening, what time should I get on the phone and call to make sure you're okay? And literally, she just went, 7.30? I mean, what do you do when you prepare an entire meal for people and they don't show up for dinner? They got busy. We, we get to eat really well then, because usually Karen cooks a little something more than just peanut butter and jelly when people are coming over. No, she cooks well for us as well, as can be seen. But, um, but that has happened to us more than once, where people just don't show. And it's not because they didn't care. Well, you didn't call. Why do they need to call? Or they show up, we say, 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock for dinner, because we never eat this early, 7 o'clock, 7.30 for dinner, and they don't show up till 9. Then we start dinner. Well, they were busy. Because people are more important than time. I'm sure that Jesus had the disciples up at a certain time and they were already eating breakfast and then they went into their discipleship program and then they had... Anyway. Okay. All right. The reason why they usually don't show up, the reason why they don't show up, and that's okay. I don't mind people being disagreeing with me. I just am understanding it in a different light. They don't show up because somebody came to their house. The scripture says, be careful that when people come, that you treat them as angels, because they're, excuse me, treat them well, because they could, could be angels unaware. So the context is people are there. They already know their relationship is secure enough with Keith and Karen that they can show up anytime they want. And they will spend all the time that they want and need with us when they get there. People are important. And so they're not saying that I'm not important. On the contrary. If they actually miss it, they'll go way out of their way to try to fix it. 
But when I say they're, that, that, they're, that they're busy, they really were busy. It wasn't that they were twiddling their thumbs and didn't want anything to do or didn't have anything to do. Something came up. It could have been that they were helping somebody in need. It could have been that there was a child who wasn't ready to leave the house yet for what X number of reasons. It could be that, that all of a sudden their brother called and said, I've got, I've got uh, people coming and I need, to, I need you to stop by and get me some bread. So it's all relational. It's not just because they didn't care. It's relational. And they really, it's not that they take the scriptures. They don't know the scriptures, but they take that cultural vantage point that says people are extremely important. And so when God places somebody in front of me, that's who I'm supposed to be dealing with. Now, because we have a rendezvous, we will get there. Now, I can't speak for all of them, but I can speak for the believers in that respect. So I understand what you're saying. And then later on, if it happens two and three and four times, then you know there's something going on. But you're working on a different system. You're not working necessarily from a system that's basically right and wrong. If you want, there's three, three different large systems. There's a very good book. It's called Honor and Shame, if you want to read this. And actually, I had Roland Mueller come over and speak to us to this subject because we miss it so much. And that you and I come usually from America from a right and wrong basis. That means we see everything right and wrong. Now, there's shame in what's wrong. We've all been told, at least I was told several times, shame on you when I was a little kid. But I see things on right and wrong. They see, see things through honor and shame. So, if I've invited you to my house, you must say no. It would be extremely presumptuous of you to say yes when I invite you to my house. Even if you're, even if you're hungry. Say, wait a minute, tell me the truth. They are telling me the truth. They're working in an honor and shame thought process that says, I cannot be so presumptuous to say you should take care of me, even though I might need it. The second time I ask them to come over, they'll say, well, you know, that's really going to be a lot for you and Karen. You probably, you're probably busy. You've got things going on. Because again, it's I'm not going to come across arrogant that you need to meet my needs. The third time I ask them, they know I'm serious. So it could be our fault that we did not ask them three times to come to my house. And they say, wait a minute, Keith. And so I'm sitting there with a bunch of workers like myself, and they said, how do we understand when they continue to lie to us? And the answer is, they're not lying. But they're seeing this world through a different optical. Now, how does that come out? That comes out to some of the kids that are sitting over there at Ohio University are invited to go out. Somebody comes up and says, hey, we're going out for a cup of coffee. You want to go out? And they say no. They're supposed to say no. And everybody leaves. And they go, well, they weren't serious. They didn't really want me to go in the first place. Because, of course, you would invite people to go out. If you want an interesting little book on understanding that a little bit better, Honor and Shame is one Foreign to familiar is another. I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, they're looking at it from a different optic than you and I are. Now, let's go back to the honor and shame. Adam and Eve, when they fell, the first thing they did is they knew they did something wrong, right and wrong basis. There's part of our world that works out of that optic. They still have honor and shame and fear and power, but they work in right and wrong. Are you following me on this? Then they, they cover themselves. There's honor and shame. And then they hid because he heard him coming. And he said, I hid because I knew you were coming. If you look at right and wrong, honor and shame, fear and power, there are cultures in our world that work primarily from one of those different vantage points. Now, they all have it, but as a painter, we'll take the three primary colors and paint us a picture up here. The picture, the hue of that picture will be there. One of those primary colors will be there in his hue as he paints. Blue, red, what's the other primary color? Yellow? Yellow? Thanks, Corey. Appreciate that. I should have already known that, but I don't. And so as we're coming at it, it says, for all have been wrong and fall short of the glory of God, right? That's not what Romans 3.23 3, says. 3.16. 3.23 says. 
For all have done shameful things and fallen short of the glory of God. No, for all have sinned. So as we're looking at what sin is, when you say you're a sinner to a Muslim, he says, no, I'm not. But he's not coming to you like our North, African, North American friends would come to you. He's saying, I have never slept with anybody other than my spouse. I have never, or I don't drink wine. I don't eat pork. I haven't done anything wrong. He has not sinned. If I'm trying to get him to confess to right and wrong. But I say, have you ever done anything that was uh, shameful? Oh, yeah. Don't we all? Of course we do. Because that's the optic that he understands. I am not going to change the scriptures. We will still talk about the scriptures as they are given. But what I'm helping the person understand is that right and wrong is shameful and brings fear. Excuse me. Wrong, shame, fear. Right, honorable, power. Hmm. So if you go into our tribal people, they're, they're basically... Uh, fear and power, or fear and, uh, yeah, fear and power. If you go to most, uh, from Morocco all the way to Japan, you're talking honor and shame. Now, they just started something, from what I understand, in America called um, honor killings that's kind of blowing some people away over here. Happens all the time in our part of the world. All the time. You do not break the honor. Go back and read the scriptures. And when you hear Jesus say, if you honor me before men, I will honor you before my Father and his angels in heaven. Wait, where'd that come from? Isn't that just the right thing to do? And go back and look at the honor, shame. David said, he dishonored me, Solomon. Wipe him out. I didn't do it. You take care of it because he dishonored me. So I understand. And there is a way in that setting that you can come across and, and address the same thing that you pointed out. You are being extremely arrogant and you think the world revolves around you. But it's not necessarily done as fast as I illustrated it this morning, or, or right there. There's a way to do that, but there's a way to do that culturally to get them back to understand. We're all arrogant. Yeah, you're right. We're all arrogant. We're all thinking about ourselves. But it comes across in a different setting, in a different way. It's just that if I'm reading it in one way, and so I say, now everybody has to do it this way, I'm missing the principle, and I'm going on my culture, and I'm actually promoting my culture rather than the principle. Sometimes they overlap. Sometimes they look similar. Similar. But they're not. Just like prayer is similar in, in Islam and in Christianity. But they're not at the same time. Did I answer? Oh, anyway, that's the way I would answer that's that good. question. Let me ask you one more question, then I'm going to get out of the way and let everybody uh, talk. <laughs> sure. but, um, and you alluded to this in your celebration message, but talk a little bit about the role of prayer in evangelism and in the work that you're doing in the ministry. Um, just personally... You're, you know, obviously you're here asking for prayer supporters from across the pond. Just, just talk a little bit about how you value the preciousness of prayer. Deeply. Deeply. To commune in a level of, of worship, uh, of prayer, and thinking and meditating on God is amazing. But coming back to it... Uh, is it aligning us into God's agenda? I, I don't understand prayer, really omnipotent, all-knowing God that knows what he's going to do. He's sovereign, waits for me to pray before he does something, but he knows he was going to do it when I prayed anyway. I don't get it. But nonetheless, the scriptures are very clear. Moses looked at God and said, don't wipe them out. That was a prayer. And he didn't. Wow. That was really cool. 
So I see prayer, if you want to do a couple of different things, prayer is the, is the power behind everything we do. If you look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, put on this, put on this, put on this, put on this, the power to use all of that armor is in the prayer. It's at the end. All types of prayer. If you want to use it, as I said, as the air support, but guess who the people go after first? The enemy goes after first, the airplanes. That means it's going to get hot in prayer. The enemy wants you to just throw money into a plate and say, I've done my thing. That's not why we're on the planet. It helps. It's part of the process. But that's not where we need to go farther into that. And when I say when, I, when we have uh, people that are praying, prayer does change things. And, and, and you look at it and you say, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit is here. By the way, we might get to this tonight. Uh, they use the same verse that I, use, that I use in John chapter 14 to say that that's a verse for Muhammad. But we'll get to that later on. Prayer is what God uses to change the world. Why? I don't, I don't know. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need prayer. But he said, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. So when you see flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven, that is not because I figured out a neat way of doing evangelism. In fact, I can't control anything. I can't hardly, hardly control my own heart, so I'm definitely not going to be able to change your heart. If what I'm saying hits and the Holy Spirit speaks to you, he's the one that changes your heart, not me. That happens in prayer. We prayed coming over here. We've been praying for this whole weekend. I'm just not interested in giving people a bunch of information. My desire is that your hearts and my heart, because that's why we're together, this is not a one-way one street, gets changed. So I value prayer deeply. One of the things, one of the reasons why we are with Christar is because Christar says you need 100 daily prayer partners before you leave for the field. And I found it very easy. I can get probably three or four or five hundred dollars a whole lot easier than I can get 50 daily prayer partners. Because wait a minute, Keith, what happens if I miss? Try it anyway. Try it anyway. Because when you pray, God moves. You don't have to leave this place to affect the world. Now, I would ask you to get involved with the people you want to pray for so you know what you're praying for, and you're asking God to do specific things. Some of them are general. Hey, I got a problem? Just argue with my wife. Why don't I pray for Keith? Because he's probably going to argue with his wife. Um, why don't I pray for Karen to be able to forgive him? Why don't, uh, why don't I pray for kids? Uh, just had a great thing, great celebration. I bet they're going to go through celebrations too. God, give them the grace not to think that it's them. Those are norm those are, those are, we live normal lives. We just do it overseas. But at the same time, sometimes there's a matter of saying, Father, it's time for you to begin to pierce the darkness. Paul, I was reading this morning in 2 Corinthians, talks about the veil that, that Moses had to put on and the veil that the people that were trying to talk to, it's not there. Lord, it's time for you to take the veil off because I can't. I can't. Now, the fruit that they're seeing in my life when Jesus is talking about fruit in John chapter 15, I believe is Galatians chapter 5. So when they see that love, they're going to want it. But if I try to force that love on them, or force that peace on them, it's not going to work. That is a God thing. That is a prayer thing. It is not a Keith thing. Now, Keith, needs, Keith and Karen need to be present, and they need to be walking, and they need to be honest. But those types of things are done in prayer. So is it the matter of the Holy Spirit speaking? Is it the matter of the air support? Is it a matter of being able to use the armor that we have? The occult is extremely interwoven in islam the occult not just whack out things but the occult 
When you have a problem with a kid, you normally will try to go to a marabou, which is kind of like a, uh, a, high, a high educated pastor. They'll do some incantations. They may end up giving some of the Quran. If you have extreme problems, then what you do is you dissolve the Quran in water and you intravenously feed them. Those are just part of the processes that go on. They will take not all of them, mind you, not all of them, but this does go on. And the idea is there's blood sacrifices, there are curses put on people. Uh, this stuff is rampant and alive, especially in North Africa. But everywhere you go, it's there. One time I was in North Africa, when, in fact, the, if you were at the, the third, uh, third time I spoke, second service this morning, I talked about being in Algeria, and Mama asked me to bring back this pottery. And I said, okay, I can take it back to France. I gave it to the, to the girls uh, of the family. They immediately put a perfume in it, lit it, and started walking around the house. I said, what in the world are you doing? They said, well, we've been having a lot of problems in the house, so we're trying to get rid of the evil spirits. I went, good grief, if I had known that, I would have never brought it back from North Africa. But the idea is, I've got to get rid of this thing. They're extremely afraid of what they call the jinn. That's why sometimes you'll see, the, the, they call it the hand of Fatima, or the evil eye, the eye that's there. Because if somebody says, boy, that was great, I have to say, with God's help. Because if I don't, then God's going to nail me, or the evil spirits will nail me. So they're living in this constant fear. Those things are overcome, and believe me, there are some hairy things that have happened over there through prayer. Sometimes the entire one time we had something going on as a team and we didn't know where it was coming from, we began to pray and pray and pray as a team. In fact, we stopped doing some, some things that said we need to start praying. I said, God, we don't know where this is coming from. We feel that it's coming from the enemy, but you're going to have to show us where it's coming from. Well, one of the people on our team was, was in their house, actually in their neighborhood, and somebody walked up and told them something that they shouldn't have known. And our team member went, well, how did you know that? Well, I see things both future and past. They said, okay. We called the team together. We started praying against the power that was in that woman. That woman never spoke to our, our friends, our colleagues, again. And she spoke to them every day for three years, almost every day for three years. That's fought in prayer. We're bringing the principalities down. That happens in prayer. It doesn't happen because Keith's really strong and works out. It happens in prayer. I think these guys have some questions. So um, sure. I know you love working together with your wife as a team. So could I ask her to come up and sure. take my seat? And I'll hand you a microphone, Karen, and feel free to just, you know, okay. say what you need to say. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> it's, it's for the tape. Or I can repeat it. Well, my question is uh, about Lyon. Mm-hmm you used, it showed a um, cathedral at the mm -hmm. top mm -hmm. um, dedicated to Mary, you mm -hmm. know. Do you have any, uh, is there any um, opposition with the Roman Catholic Church toward you? Because I know we have, we have um, friends who are um, missionaries in India, mm -hmm. and most of their opposition comes from the Roman Catholic yeah. Church. Direct opposition, I don't know. I don't think so. Could be. But being the part of the pastoral group that's in Lyon, as well as the Evangelical Federation of France, has put me uh, into a good body of, of believers to be with, so that we're in good standings, if you will. Um, I don't go walking around telling everybody that Catholicism is wrong and bad. So that kind of helps, too. Um, I say that anything is bad that's not bringing us back to the blood of Jesus Christ. So, in that respect, I don't know. I do know that while the French are postmodern, you've heard that term, 
Um, they don't want the church anymore. When the king, the king and the church were in bed for many years together. By that I mean that they just worked off of one another back and forth. So when they cut the head off the, of the king, they kicked the church out at the same time. But emotionally, they're still Catholic. Even though they don't even know if God exists, they're still Catholic. So there's still a power that's there. So as long as I'm functioning within the, ram, the, the ramification of not trying to destroy the Catholic Church, they basically, I'm not big enough, big enough fish yet for, the, yet for them to bother me that I know of. Yeah, you're going to find, find even you talking with most, a lot of the people over there, they're not necessarily saying where they're coming from. So when they say about Christians, they go Christianity all the way around. They're mainly talking about now we've found life and faith in Christ. So we're not necessarily using the, the labels that we might use in other places. And quite frankly, uh, when we stand before Christ, the Baptists and the Lutherans and the Episcopalians and, and the Catholics are not going to be lined up in different places. I'm just wondering, like, there are a lot of things in the Catholic Church that are not. Well, we had, one, we had one gal that came up and said, okay, so what do we do? I don't know if I can really accept that Mary is the mother of God. Mark said, good. They're, they're still learning. This stuff is all new first generation stuff. I said, okay, well, where is that found in the scripture? She went, well, it's not. I said, well, then why do we believe it? Well, maybe we shouldn't. Good idea. Festival of Lights, mm -hmm. the Immaculate Conception. Right. Well, the Catholics believe that even Mary's mother Correct. Correct. It was an Immaculate Conception. Well, that right. is, that's not in there at all. Right. You know, and if, I, I just was wondering. But if no. you're not having any problem, praise God. Not that I know of. Okay. Great. Yes, ma'am. Hi, I don't really know enough to be able to formulate a good question, but I'm very curious as far as the culture with um, the men and their wives and how you reach them. And there's not everything's bad about how Muslim men and women relate to each other, um, a little bit hyperactive levels of modesty, but the ability to stay together, the ability to you know, shelter children and things like that, you know, not everything's wrong, so how do you help them to see that while still encouraging them to do the, the concept of good Christian male leadership while honoring the culture in some way? Does that make any sense? I mean, do you, for yeah. one thing, you probably reach the men separate from the women, but how do you prevent them from feeling undermined? For example, when you do the women's group and maybe the the woman becomes converted to Christ before the man does. Right. Yeah, which does happen quite often. So how um, do you deal with that? First of all, don't believe everything you've read or see. Mm -hmm. um, as far as what does the culture say and doesn't say. Yeah, there is an awful lot more of the separation of the sexes between the men, the men and the women. In fact, uh, you wouldn't be able to worship as you are right now. Um, if you want to go strict Islamic, most of you women are naked. Naked. Um, and there's no way a man could ever worship God next to a naked woman. And I don't mean that negatively, I just mean that, that they are trying to build in extreme, well, we would say extreme, they would say that's supposed to be normal. Um, so, 
how do you build, build that in there? First of all, you live it. And that sounds like a cop-out, but it's not. You live it because we're in relationship with them. And then you begin to talk about it. Um, God is there and will zap you every time you walk out. Now, he is all-merciful, so therefore he should have a lot of mercy. But God is still there to let you know that you're doing things wrong, according to Islam. So the idea there, and in fact, if I ever finish my master's from Liberty, <laughs> if I ever finish it, it will be on the philosophical inconsistencies of the doctrine of God and Islam. And what I see is that our view of God gives us our view of male leadership, if you want to call it that. And so in some respects, you've got, we've, got, uh, we've got to assist them that the way you lead is not by crushing, be it your children, your wife, the church, the country. And we don't get that because we weren't raised necessarily that way. We believe in democracy. Well, talk to me about democracy during Daniel's time or David's time. I'm sure he was a great democratic leader. Or, and they, they don't. It's a succession. And it's domination. So that's not even in their mindset. Part of that's coming from their, their understanding of God. Now you say, wait a minute, they had that understanding of God back then too. But they're still living in that Old Testament era, if you will. So we begin to talk to them about what does leadership really look like? What does humility look like? And quite frankly, something that, that is uh, evading, and, and I, we're, I'm still trying to figure this out, is what does servant leadership look like in the, North, in, in the Arab community? Again, the same man, Mar, uh, Rollo Mueller, wrote a book called The Man from Gadara. Um, and he said that's probably one of the best ones. But that does not mean that they're going to just kind of look like one of our leaders over here. They are still looked upon and have to be looked upon as a leader of a clan, as a leader that, that's getting things done. Now, they might have a little bit more of a shared leadership and then come back to a corporate thought process of making, making decisions. But nonetheless, they still have a whole lot more decision-making than we do. And again, now we're getting back into some of the nitty-gritties of culture. And quite frankly, we're not there yet in the church plan to figure that all out yet. So maybe give me a couple more years and and the Lord, and we'll see what that looks like. But it's really living it out. How do I live as a loving yet authoritative yet servant leader? <laughs> and that kind of gets really confusing, and you make a couple of mistakes, or you're coming on too hard, or you're not coming on hard enough, and you learn those things. Um, and there are some, some great leaders out there, great leaders in North Africa that are in the North African church. They could probably come across a little stronger than some of, the, some of how we might interpret, are they really servants? And they are. Great servants. I think one of the most effective things has been what Keith is saying is just living it out. And the men in our group who are believers that are showing by modeling how to love their wives, how to treat their children kindly yet firmly, and giving a total different aspect to what it means to truly love each other the way Christ loved the church. Um, another part of that question would be, as much as possible, we allow them to hold on to cultural ties, such as the women coming to our activities. We'll stay, we'll stay veiled. Now, we live in a Western country, so not all of the North African women that we work with will dress as they would in their own countries. They are dressing more and more Western. But some will have a Western dress, an outfit like I'm wearing, but still wear a veil when they're uh, outside. And yet when they come in for the dance night, for example, they have more freedom because there are no men there. So they can let their hair down and enjoy themselves a little bit more. But again, the, the idea is to show them that you can still remain North African to, be, uh, to have ties with your family and to enjoy a lot of the cultural aspects of being North African and still be a follower of Jesus Christ. 
it's where that clashes with the scripture that we allow the Holy Spirit to transform them. And we have seen that. Uh, you saw, no, you didn't see. Um, yes, there were. Uh, in the picture of our little church, a uh, Tunisian man who was totally abused as a child, had a horrible, horrible past, and yet by coming to Christ, we've seen such a remarkable transformation in his life, and it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the work, and it's just amazing to watch. And some of those prayers, by the way, uh, Pastor Steve, are frustrated prayers. <laughs> Some of them are like, now, God, this can't be right. <laughs> or if you don't change something, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he is in the process. When I think of, of our dear friend there, I've had a couple of them where he said, this can't be the leader that I'm supposed to be training. <laughs> Please don't do this. And that's my heart as much as it is his heart that needs to change. Um, I think it was Lucado who wrote In the Grip of Grace. And he says in the Grip of Grace that acceptance of another person has more to do with me than the other person. I didn't like that. I do. I mean, I do like it, but it hit me right between the eyes. Will I accept the other person, or do they have to be like me? Questions? Yeah. All right. I wasn't here this morning, so I apologize. Um, I didn't get your, I didn't get your uh, presentation. Um, but I am curious because you you live in a community where you have obviously you have a whole lot more Muslims probably where you are obviously than 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 here. Oh, I don't. Um, I as don't. you're visiting. I don't know that. How many Muslims do we have in the city? Do you know? Oh, uh, a lot. A lot. We have. Well, I guess. I guess the United States in general. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's true. Yeah. You, we have percentage-wise more. And I'm from. I am from Virginia Beach, which is. Oh, it's kind of interesting. But there's. There's not. There's not. I don't know. I guess there's not that. If there are a lot there, they. They don't. They go underground or something like that because they're okay. not very visible. Right. Um. One thing I, I just want. I want. I want your opinion of what you think of this, because you've been living in France and you've seen the effects of, of, the, of the Muslim culture on, on, on the politics of France and so forth, and the, and the culture there. Um, back in 1994, um, CNN back back in those days, ex-CNN journalist Stephen Emerson uh, put a, a movie together called Jihad America, um, and he also wrote a book. And it he basically I'm familiar with Steve Emerson, but um, he's on CNN, I mean, not Fox News and MSNBC these days, but. But he, he basically, well, he, he clearly predicted 9-11 and um, back seven years before it happened. But he, he took cameras underground and basically what he was investigating was is the Muslim church in America and not just one place or two places, across the country. Mm -hmm. And he's got footage going to mosques all over the place and mostly in the heartland of America, like Oklahoma is an example, where he's got, he's got mullahs and whoever, this, you know, whatever, you know, sh you know basically saying death to America, we're going to take over America, blah, 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 blah. You know, the stuff you're, that you're hearing in Tehran, we're, this is going all over, this is going all over, on all over the United States. Now, this was, what this is, what, what 15 years ago. Okay, we saw 9-11, what occurred. And I, I know a friend of mine who's, who works for a Christian Broadcasting Company um, said a couple of weeks ago when he was at a broadcaster's convention, um, a man who I have a lot of respect for, uh, Charles Coulson, mm -hmm. uh, stated that he believes the greatest threat to America this is two weeks ago. The greatest threat to America is not the economy. <laughs> it's, he says, in the year 2050, this country of ours will be predominantly Muslim, statistically the way things are going right now. And when I couple what I know about, what, I mean, things I hear from Steve Emerson, things I've heard from, I don't know if you're familiar with the Brigitte Gabriel. She, no. she, she travels around the country. She's also in the news a lot. I've met her. Um, warning people about the influx of, of, of Islam in our country and they're clear, at least they believe there's, a, there's definitely a clear agenda to take over this country politically and culturally. 
knowing that uh, that obviously it looks like, to my looks like a losing battle culturally, um, coupled with the the mentality of let's say some Muslims and some Muslim teachers in this country right now. Mm -hmm. um, where do you see us going at this point? I mean, I mean, I, I wasn't. I mean, I don't. I, I wasn't here. That's you know. Right. But, but no, knowing you know, but we see going on the culture in France. Yeah, I didn't. What we see going on in, in London, Stan, you know, mm -hmm. or London, excuse me. Where where's our country? Where what can we see our country going in forty years from now? Hopefully, back to Christ. Oh, yeah. Hope so too. Me too. We might lose some of the freedoms that uh, we thought we had, but. Uh, Hopefully, you go back to Christ. Those are scare tactics. Whether they're true or not, we know Christ wins. Whatever that he wants to do with us is his decision. Now, for somebody who is a control freak, and I just realized that about five years ago for myself, I don't like that too well. I like to be in control. We're not. And so when we look at it, if you want it to the other side of it, is we've got to get these Christians out of our country because they're converting everybody and they're changing religions and they're changing cultures. That's what the fundamentalists are saying in Algeria right now. Same discourse. They came in, they came in over here, they did this, they did this, they did this, they did this, and we've got now Algerians who are talking about Jesus Christ. Yes, they want to see the world. Most of them are leaving their countries most are leaving their countries because they're trying to find a better life. Now the imams and the fundies are coming in on their coat strings and they're trying to get everybody zapped up and then that starts the friction back and forth and as a church we're getting into the friction. And as a church we're supposed to get back to Christ and say it doesn't make a difference what happens except that Christ be glorified. So hopefully we'll get back to Christ. Whatever he wants to do with America is his business. So the imams and the funnies that you mentioned, is that, is that the, the right fringe? Is that the one fringe? The, the, if you want the government, if the, the, the government, excuse me, the, there was a council of Islamic nations in Saudi Arabia around the year 78, 1978. And they said, we're going to try to take over the world with Islam. Um, now, some of them want to take it over with force. We did hear about that. That's usually the Shiites. Others want to do it over by teaching. That's the Sunnis, 80% of Islam. And so the, the idea is we want to take over the world for the glory of Allah. That's really what... And there's, so there's some people that want to do that with love and respect and honor, and other people that say whatever it takes, we'll get the job done. So you've got all of that going on in Christianity. You've got people that are killing abortionists and saying this is being done in the name of Christ. And other people that are saying we just need to love people to Jesus. So we've got the same thing, if you will. Do we really believe that truth wins in the end? Do we really believe that our, that our Father has this thing already planned out and knows what's going to happen? And if we do, that doesn't mean we shouldn't vote. That doesn't mean we shouldn't say, hey, let's not change our laws. But it does mean I can look at these people, fundy or not, and go, you know what? You need Christ, period. Just like I need Christ. And you, if you need to do something, then that's what needs to be done. We talk about the fact that we have eternal life, and yet we're afraid to die. I have people that won't come visit me because they don't want to get in a plane because they don't want to die. Now, some of them will be so, so bold to say, well, I don't mind dying. It's just I have a reason or a, a way I want to die. But we say, I have eternal life, but I'm afraid to die. I have eternal life. My kids know the Lord. We're going to spend eternity together. But that means they have to spend the next 70 years with me until I die and not go anywhere. 
We have eternal life, and yet we're afraid of what might happen if it becomes to the point of persecution just because I know Christ. I've got it on my computer. In fact, I might have it on the thumb drive that's up there. It is phenomenal to hear about the testimony of a young gal in Tunisia in the year 200. I don't understand what's happened to my own heart, but when I read these stories, my heart is just taken back. We stood, in, we stood where she's from in Carthage just last May, or just May, or in June now, July. And the whole story that's a really good story is about seven or eight pages. If you want it, I can, I can give it to you uh, or send it to you or give it to the church here and they can have it. It's part of a book. And basically, she, uh, she and some others were, were pulled in for, because they were Christians. And they were supposed to honor the emperor. And they said, no, we're Christians. We can't do that. So what ended up happening is that she had just given birth to a baby. So her father comes in, he's pulling his gray hair out, and he says, for the sake of me and the sake of your child, recant. And she said, Papa, the water pitcher. Is it anything but a water pitcher? And he said, no, it's a water pitcher. She said, I can't deny my Christ. Her friend was eight months pregnant. And her friend said, they're not going to let me go with you because the Romans will not throw a, a pregnant woman to the animals. Let's pray. They knelt. That night she delivered that child. She gave it to her husband. And three days later she was a martyr. Who, what kingdom am I really living for? Those things pierce my heart and going, am I missing something? In the way that I was brought up and to love and to worship Christ, am I missing something? We have eternity that's secure. And we're worried about things that are going on. Now, I don't want to walk into a mosque and say, la, 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 la. What I just said is there is no God but Allah and Jesus is the Son of God. That would probably get me beat pretty well in a mosque. I'm not, I'm not asking about doing stupid things, but do I truly, honestly believe that nothing is going to happen to me until God says it's time to me, for me to go home? And can I look at those beasts out there, be them Mohammed or a lion or whatever else, Christian radicals for that matter, and say, do whatever you need to do. I know what's going to happen. What's going on in my Christian heart and my Christian attitude and the church's attitude in this country? Are we really standing up for Jesus or are we standing up for what we want to continue doing because we've been doing that a long time? That's a cultural separation that's extremely difficult for any culture to understand. Not just ours, but I'm only talking our culture right now. Unless you're coming from a different culture. And we are rad we're supposed to be radical about this. And yet, well... Is it safe? No. In fact, I've had, can we bring our teens to France? And I said, I really don't want you to bring the teens because I don't want the possibility of their parents suing Christar because something happened that I can't control. That's terrible. That's pathetic. But you know that Karen's and our salary now is split. We used to be paid as head of the household, but our, our salary got split. Why? Because of a divorce situation where the wife didn't have Social Security, so her lawyer said, sue the mission because they paid the head of the household even though she was a full member and now missions is getting messed up because of the lawyer system over here and the way that people are trying to get money back and forth for a good reason I understand the woman needed the money so it wasn't that she was trying to be miserable about it but that's changing things and so that we actually some missions actually have you sign off I am going to this country fully aware of all the consequences and don't want anybody to take any processes against this mission that's ridiculous as believers now, sometimes it's unbelievers in our families that are doing that. I realize that. 
So I answer, that was a long answer to say, I hope we get back to Christ. I really do. But what do I mean by that? I mean being authentic and living Christianity out and saying, if you need to do something, get it over with. I know where I'm going. But you, my friend, need Jesus, period. Now, I ask people to pray. Pastor Steve said something about that, that if I have to go out, it will be because of that, not because I've done something stupid, if I do get snuffed out which is a small but yet real possibility. Yes, sir. First, I want to say one thing. I think the biggest problem in this country is our Christians who refuse to act like Christ or are afraid to act like him. Uh, My question has to do with these honor killings you were talking about earlier. Right. How do they reconcile that with their religion? I'm assuming that's a uh, cultural thing, the honor killings. Yeah, it's cultural from Morocco all the way to uh, Japan. And um, I don't know enough about it really to answer that question, except that you are not to break honor. Um, maybe like a court-martialing thing in, in, our, in our military, where if you go against the military, you can be court-martialed. Wasn't, it, wasn't that still used to be capital punishment in court if you were uh, found a, what is that, traitor? Yeah. Yeah? Still I think is. it might be the same thing. So you have become a traitor, therefore it's time to eradicate you. Right. First, we will beat you. Hopefully you'll come back. If you won't, then we will threaten to beat you and your family. If that doesn't work, then we take you out. Okay, just correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't young women that get raped, aren't they killed? Uh, the radicals, they... yes. The okay. radicals, yes. It's not a common custom. Mm, depends on where you are in the world. We only hear about those. We don't hear about the other ones. There have been people that look... look um, if I look in some countries, if I look the women straight in the eye and talk to them, I can get beat for that. And so can she, for that matter. But that, those, those, are, those are extreme cases for the most part, as far as I know. And by the way, that doesn't mean that Islam doesn't want to come and take, and take over America. It realizes it has Europe first and America second. What they don't realize is that Christ will not lose. So in some cases, it's a, fight, it's a losing battle that they can't make, not because Keith is strong and big and, and we're going to go over there and show them with our arms and our forces, but that we come back into the idea of prayer. So I don't want to say that it's not happening. I realize what's going on. Realize that it's the radicals and the fundies that are trying to excite the normal people. Art, hopefully, will be able to get into normal people and talk to them and see them coming into the kingdom before they can get picked up by the radicals. And just because they're radical doesn't mean that they don't need Christ either. If I'm not mistaken, somebody by the name of Saul (laughs) was wiping out the church, and God said, that's enough. Are you praying, or have you prayed, as you hear about these Islamic leaders, that they come to know Christ as Savior? If I'm not mistaken, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but Jesus' blood applies to them as they do for that little one that you just held a couple of days ago or years ago in your hands. No matter what they're doing, the blood of Christ is for them as well. As some of these uh, really whacked out people out there going, how can they be that deceived? Yes, ma'am. Can you be very practical for us here? Suppose we have a Muslim friend, sure. as I do, uh, one we're talking to frequently. What can we do to encourage them to talk about spiritual things with us? What, what can we share with them? What can we ask them? What should we do? Begin, as you apparently have, by befriending them. Um, for those of you who were in the services this morning, you heard some of that. Um, ask them to tell their story. The more interest you show in their life, the more they realize that you're a real person 
you're caring. Uh, it breaks down the stereotypes. Yes, we have many stereotypes of what they're like, but they also have stereotypes of us. I think some of them are just as afraid of us as Westerners as we are of them because they don't know. They've only heard about what they've seen on the news as well. And I'm sure they feel like almost any minority um, shunned, that the Americans don't want them here on their soil. And as Keith said, when we go into universities and ask the international students how many of them have been in American home, there are very, very few. So the fact that you're reaching out and getting to know them a little bit, asking questions about their lifestyle here, some of the challenges maybe that they've had, where does their family live? Is their family here as well? Or are they back home in country? Um, what are some of the customs that they miss from their home countries? Those are just some basic questions that show an interest and a care about the person that will allow a trust to begin developing. Now, it takes time. It's not always going to happen on the first or second or third visit with them. Or I don't know if you, you work with this person? Okay. Um, the more time you spend with them, able to get to know them, the quicker a trust might develop. But there are barriers that just fall as soon as you start reaching out and just showing Christ's love. Um, I would continue, once the, you ask questions about how they believe, do they, are they able to worship their God here? One thing that's really neat where we live in France is although in France, in French society, God has totally been shunned and, and taken out of, their, out of their society, the Muslims still love talking about God. So we have that common bond. And uh, as you heard this morning, we define the terms that they have that are similar to ours by what the Bible says the love, the mercy, the grace, forgiveness. Talk about heaven. Talk about heaven. Ask when you get to that point, you know, um, is, is there heaven for a woman? That's one of the questions I ask Arab women all the time, and they cannot answer me. Most of them have never even thought about it. Heaven for a man, paradise for a man, is all the wine and virgins he wants. Ask a woman, what is paradise for a woman? No clue. No clue. And that's Almost every single time I've asked that question, I've had it returned to me. Well, what is heaven for you? Wide open door. Thank you. Mm. I'll take it. Uh -huh. And it's just simple things. You don't have to debate. You don't have to argue with them. And if that starts to become part of it, you say, look, you know, I don't have all the answers, and I don't want to debate. I can tell you the faith that I have, and I have found uh, love and faith and forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And I can share that with you if you'd like to know. Simplify, simplify evangelism. I wrote this up there. Do not do evangelism. I am evangelism, which really means that I want my life to become more and more the truth that I proclaim, mm -hmm. and not just be doing it. So is the person is the person open to it? Well, sometimes when they come to our house, they have to come into our house. We're going to eat a meal, and as I said in one of the services, and I, the first thing I will do is say, normally I pray. Now, one time we got done praying, <laughs> and it was really interesting. The Muslim was right here. His uh, brother-in-law, who had just come to know the Lord, was here. And as soon as I said, Amen, he looked at me and said, Why do you pray, Christian? <laughs> Whoa. Um, and immediately, take away all of the, 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 the flux, the, the, the superlatives, if you want. Or I, I'm not so sure what I'm trying to say. Take away Christianity, the terminology that we use, and try to explain it as you are explaining it to a two-year-old. Salvation. They don't get that. So we talk about the basic principles. What you have in the notes is more along the lines of where they're coming from and how to answer that. But one of their questions are, what she just said, what does heaven look like? What does eternity look like for you? Uh, do you know God? When you pray, how, how does God speak back to you? 
Things like that, or just asking questions. So how long have you been in the country? What's your religious background? What does that mean? What does that look like here? Nobody's asking these questions, usually. CNN's already answered them. Or some people have come across with some very scare... They're not, I don't want to call them scare tactics because they're not necessarily completely wrong. But at the same time, we have to have confidence that our Savior knows what's going on. And as we decide to talk about Christ, maybe some of these radicals will end up coming to know Christ as Savior and be as radical for Christ as they are for Islam, but for the right reasons and not to try to make up for what they did wrong. So uh, we're, we're being wheeled on gurneys to go get certain activities done in France, and we're talking to the Muslim wheeling us into the operating room. Saying, hey, we need to talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Talk. If you, if you stick around with us, you're going to hear about Jesus. You can't help it. You're going to hear about our kids. You're going to hear about our good times. You're going to hear about our bad times. You're going to hear about Jesus. You're going to hear about Muslims because we love them too. And do we really have a treasure? I think that what has happened in, in trying to give, and try, a desire to see people come to know the Lord, we, have, we, have, we are sharing a, do, a, a doctrinal statement. Here, this is what you need to believe. You didn't believe that before, but this is what you need to believe. If you do this, 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 you're a Christian. Is it a treasure? Is it a treasure worth giving up everything I have, including my own life? Is it that much of a treasure? When we start acting that way, people around us go, come on, what's going on here? It's because of your religion. Absolutely not. But I am a member of this church or a member of a certain church. I do go to that church. I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus has impacted my life like I just can't. I don't know how to get it out. I'm so ecstatic about it. Now, and that doesn't, and sometimes I'm hurting so bad I can't stand it, and I, and I know he's there, and sometimes I'm confused. I'm trying to be honest with people about a journey with Christ. Come join the journey. Come look into my life. And then they begin to say, wow. Or whenever there's an opportunity to pray for them, ask specifically, can I pray for that? I love to pray and ask God for his guidance, for his discernment, for his will to be done. Can I pray for you in that? No. Okay. I'll let you know that I'll be doing that at my house. Next time it comes up, we ask again. I'm not trying to be belligerent. And sometimes we won't even talk about God when we're together because I don't want them to think the only reason why we're together is to talk to God or talk about God for them to become a Christian. That's what they're doing. They're fundies. And they know it. They know this stuff's going on. We can talk about anything. What do you want to talk about? But somehow there'll be a small spiritual thing. Sorry, Karen. In that conversation, go ahead. <laughs> no, it's just when you're talking about being evangelism. Um, when we talk about having people in our home, uh, one of the things that used to happen quite frequently is every time we had people over, our children would misbehave. We'd have to take <laughs> them out and discipline them and bring them back in. And I used to think, God, why is that what they have to see? Why do they have to see the imperfect side of our family? Why can't the kids just sit still and be quiet and obey while they're here and be a good testimony? It used to frustrate me so badly. Years and years and years later, we would have people come to us and say, you know, those early times when we were in your home, we watched how you disciplined your kids, how you took time with them, how you talked with them, how you discussed things before they received a spanking. And the most amazing thing is you always brought them in and you were hugging each other. That's forgiveness. That's showing and living out biblical principles that they see. If my kids acted perfectly, they wouldn't have been able to see that. If we have a perfect relationship, they're not going to see how a husband treats his wife correctly. 
So it's something that we've had to learn by kind of trial and error, and that God has used to humble us in one aspect and also to teach us. It's just being real with people. It's being real and living out Christ and let him use those occasions to speak to others through your lives. Easterners in general read you and me like you and I read books. Already you've mentioned twice a couple of books. I've mentioned a couple of books. We're book readers. We're, book, we're gaining information. They watch people. And this family that adopted us, it was terrible. We'd have an argument. You've, you've never done this, I'm sure. We'd have an argument because Karen was wrong again. And um, <laughs> It's not how to treat your wife. <laughs> and before I realized that I was the one who was really off on this one. Anyway, we'd have an argument and go, okay, we've got to go over there now. It's time to go over there. <clears throat> you know, everybody, you know, it's like the screaming and the hollering in the car when you're coming into church and you come into church. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. Fine, everything's fine. And we walk in the door and we hadn't even said anything. We're just giving everybody the French kiss because I love giving French kisses. Those are really cool. Um, anyway, we do it all the I'll time. show you with, what that with, really looks like later. With, 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 <laughs> with Muslims, or North Africans, you usually do four instead of just two. Excuse me, two. And we get there and sit down, and it's like, oh, we're so glad to be here. And Mama looks and says, what's the matter? Nothing. What? No, what's the matter? Nothing. You're angry. No, I'm not. <laughs> Burn it. Got caught again. <laughs> it happens all the time. And so I've learned that they're watching just living out Christ like we try to do the best we know how has such a phenomenal impact on the world we don't understand it, especially from the East because they're watching everything. They're watching us. Take the time to live out Christ authentically and they are listening and they're developing questions that will come out later on down the road. Spend time. Uh, yes, sir, ma'am, go ahead. Who, who wants to go? We're coming up, Dave. Go. You mentioned this morning that there's a movement of people around the world who are calling themselves Christian Muslims or Muslim Christians, however you phrase it. Can you talk about that? Because that is, it's puzzling and fascinating and growing. It's kind of a big deal. So can you talk about that? There's a bunch of books you can read on it. (laughs) Keith Moulton doesn't read that book. He's too busy doing some other things and is not taking the time. Um, From what I understand, it's called the insider movement. And if I'm understanding it correctly, uh, what is happening is people are giving the scriptures to Muslims, even mullahs and imams, they're reading it saying, this is the word of God. And they're starting to conform their lives and the lives of the people around them that they're influencing biblically. They're not necessarily changing anything on the outside. So they say, we believe in all of the prophets, including Muhammad. It's just that we follow Jesus. So they're becoming followers of Jesus, the insider movement. A little bit like, I guess we would say, the completed Jew, the Messianic Jews. So they're saying, now we're going to have Quranic believers? I don't know. But, um, and and I, I've asked our people over there, I said, so do you think we could have a Jesus mosque? And they all look at me like, what planet did you just get off on? Should I be able to call myself a Muslim because I'm being submitted to God? And they stand up and say, absolutely, no way, no. Why? In France, the polemic between Islam and Christianity is already there. What's happening in the insider movement quite often is happening in places where there is no polemic. Now, the mullahs are still there. They understand what's going on. But there is no polemic going back and forth. They they don't have the, the understanding that we do about why we are different and so forth. So until there's a polemic, the first Christians were called the way. They didn't have a name. They were first called Christians at Antioch because they looked like this person called Jesus. 
So whenever name they can actually come out on these insiders, it may work. But at least in our part of the world, I don't think it's going to work. Um, that doesn't mean we say, go back and tell everybody you're a Christian. Live like Jesus Christ. The questions will come. But the questions will come when the lifestyle is already there. At that point, they still might beat you. They still might be angry. But they can't get away from the change. So you're now speaking back into their culture. And it's very interesting. We just had a Moroccan cu couple come and talk to us. They were so good. They are a Moroccan couple. They are believers. They live in an Islamic, still family setting. So that when they say, we, we want you to get your kids circumcised, they said, absolutely not. We won't do it the Muslim way. Because it's tied to a sacrifice. Therefore, we won't do it. So they get their kids sacrificed. Oh, you're a bunch of Christians. You're circumcised, excuse me. Sacrifice, circumcised. Um, uh, the whole thing about naming a child. You name the child in Islam usually by taking what you're going to eat, because they don't go down to Kroger's, taking what you eat, and as the imam, as you call the name, the imam cuts the throat of the animal. So they say, we won't do that. We will name our kids outside of that setting. And we will not throw a party because we don't want you to think that we named our kids by, by causing a sacrifice. You go to the Hajj, we're not giving you any money. They don't have necessarily insurance like we do. Everybody pitches in. So uh, for medical or even for other activities. So we're not going to pay for the Hajj. However, you're sick, we pay. We're the first ones to pay. And they're living out Christianity inside of that. But there's already a polemic that's there. But they have made the decision, because it's based on a sacrifice, we won't do it. And I thought that was so cool to listen to how it can be done on the inside when the polemic is there. Where it's not there, they're following. In fact, if you hear some of the stories, uh, they're phenomenal stories that are happening. They're usually in Indonesia, some parts probably of India. But they're, they're, called, they're, they're just out in the middle of no place. And that polemic is not yet there, to my knowledge. While I've got the microphone, one more. Yeah. Um, can you talk for just a second about the whole dreams and visions thing? We're hearing so much is bad news. You know, the Muslims are overtaking the world. But the truth of the matter is, in certain parts of the world, great strides are being made. Whole people groups are turning to Christ from Islam, a lot of times due to violence, a lot of times due to dreams and visions that, that's really just causing them to completely turn their lives around. Can you talk about that for just a sec? I have a friend who the first, second, third time I saw him, I guess, third time I saw him after he had gone back to Istanbul, said, praise God for Khomeini. I said, Dick, I need help here. <laughs> he said, I've got Iranians knocking on my door asking me to tell them about Jesus because they're fed up with these mullahs that are coming over and putting the screws down. Please don't think that everybody likes that, that they're all doing that. It's very easy. I won't tell you, but before we walked in here, I told Karen if she doesn't say everything right, I'm going to beat her when she gets home. She will do anything I ask her to do right now. That's the way it's done. It's done behind the scenes because it's how things appear. And then he said, in fact, at one point, uh, he had baptized over 70 people personally whom either he had led or, or was part of their process of coming to know Christ as Savior in Istanbul from Iran. Uh, dreams and visions. It is very difficult to find, uh, at least uh, in our part of the world, uh, someone who has not been affected greatly by a dream or a vision that they've had. In fact, we're sitting at one, one thing, one of the, Christ, I think it was a Christmas thing, and they came up and said, seeing, seeing as you have the ability to interpret dreams, I had a dream the other night. What should, uh, can you interpret it for me? I went, well, um, I do know the God who interprets dreams, and uh, tell me your dream. Well, I dreamed that I became a Christian, and my daughter dreamed that I became a Christian. What does this mean? I said, I think it means God's trying to tell you, have you ever considered Jesus Christ? Well, no, I haven't. Well, then maybe we should talk about it. And Sammy and Samuel were already talking to her about it, so I didn't have to. Um, but she did take the, the Jesus film and the Dreams and Vision 
video that we have. The Dreams and Vision videos are five different testimonies of five people who have come to know Christ as Savior, primarily through a dream. Something happened. They dreamt, they dreamt some of them that they saw Jesus. All of them dreamt that they saw Jesus. Um, and it just changed their life. One guy was in Mecca doing the Hajj. Uh, another guy was uh, training to be a terrorist and was, told, was given the opportunity that he had to try to find all the mistakes in the Bible, and uh, he couldn't find them, and then began to look back at the Quran. We need to get people into the book. The book has an amazing power. Imam, talking to another imam, says, don't read that book because people who read that book become Christians. Yes. I love it when pagans see the power of God. They're afraid. Literally, they, they, he dropped, it was, it was a real story, but they're afraid to touch the Bible. They're afraid to come into a church building because they think that there's hexes and curses going to be put upon them. You know that some Muslims think that we actually eat Jesus? Now, you can get into the doctrines if you want to, but in their minds, we're cannibals. They're confused. Get them into our homes, bring them to activities, and they can see we're not so whacked out. And maybe they'll begin to let, the, let, it, let their, their guards down to understand what's going on around them. So, it's, I, 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 did we give you one when you were over there last time? Okay. It probably would be good to play at least one of those during that six-week course because they're, they're really cool about how people came to know Christ as Savior. Especially one kid when he came and he came, came he was an imam. He had studied to be an imam, <clears throat> just couldn't get away from it. They understand, many of them that are truly seeking after God, understand this is a dead-end street. When he finally came to know Christ as Savior, uh, the village, there was a whole story, but at one point, the father shows up, and understand that with the witnesses, remember, we're always talking about the witnesses in the Old Testament. You have to have two or three witnesses before you do anything. The dad was there, the three leaders of the tribe were there, and his dad said, drink this, and one of the leaders of the tribe came over, and he said, Dad, can I do one thing before I drink this? Can I pray? It was poison. The father was killing his son because he had dishonored the name of the tribe. And so he said, I'm drinking this for you, Jesus. Do what you want. He drank it. Full knowledge of what was going on. Happens all the time. He got sick. He didn't die. Father still wanted to get rid of him. So finally he came and he said, Dad, you want me to leave Jesus. Can you promise me eternal life? And his dad was honest and went, no. He said, why should I leave Jesus? Are we there? Are we at that point where he really is a treasure? I'm still working on it personally. <laughs> I don't like pain. Uh, but I am still working on it, that he is becoming more and more a treasure. I'm sharing a friend. I'm sharing a treasure. And so, yeah, they've affected even Sammy. Sammy and I will talk about their dreams. Everyone talks about dreams. Dreams, 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 dreams. Why? It just affects them a whole lot more than necessarily we do, and yet... Sometimes it's not necessarily a spirit, a spiritism that's out there either. That's not what they're ta we're talking about. And uh, everything has to be brought back to the Word of God. As we heard this morning, uh, that is the basis why we do everything we do. So if they do have some whacked-out dreams, we come back to the aspect of, of uh, saying, uh, what does this look like here? Question over here. Yeah, I see that. Um, 29 years ago, uh, when before my wife and I were uh, married, um, a friend and I met an Iranian. Mm -hmm. 
it was actually the former minister of industry under the Shah and was you know kicked out and he was a manager at, at Burger King and uh, to make a long story short we developed a really good friendship with him he was Baha'i mm -hmm. which I understand is a offshoot of of Islam correct and uh, we would have him over at our house and he came to our wedding and uh, just just wonderful friendship there um, but one of the things that he was intrigued with when I we, we were talking one time about um, how everyone needs a sin sacrifice and I started back at Adam and went to Abraham and you know on all the way up to Christ and this is and the Jews rejected Jesus as the lamb right. because the prophet John or John you know said behold the lamb of God right. and that struck in his mind for a long time and he whenever he come over to our house well tell me more about this prophet John because you said that they accept all the prophets right. um, but one time I asked him well where's your your blood sacrifice um, cue and it just stopped him in his tracks like he, right. he couldn't he didn't have right. he, he saw it in the Bible but, but he didn't have an answer and he just always asked about that right is that the same in Islam I mean would they you you mentioned sacrifice yeah, they would say that you still pay for your own sins, but yet they still, uh, in, in traditional and, and uh, uh, more conservative Islam, when they cut the throat of the, uh, of the sheep for the uh, sheep festival, the Eid, um, some fathers will, will mention all the names of the people in their family as they cut the throat. So it's sitting there, it's there. But they have been so told that you are responsible before God and you're going to burn in hell and you're going to be beat up by God and you're going to be, it's going to be miserable unless you submit to him. And even then, it, God can do whatever God wants to do. They live in fear of this capricious God. So the whole idea of a sacrifice coming, they understand it probably a little bit better after we go through the whole process of love. But yes, uh, for them, for them, they understand the sacrificial system. And in the thir in the the second service today, I was talking about about the story of of a uh, Abraham and Ishmael. Were you there for that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Abraham and Ishmael. So um, they understand the story very very well. And God will provide a lamb. Well, He did. Ishmael didn't have to die. Or actually, I don't say Ishmael when I'm talking to Muslim. Yeah, I don't say Isaac either. I say His son didn't have to die. Sometimes we can get hung up on the wrong things. Are we going to go to battle over words? Are we going to go to battle over people? Are we going to, and we're going to say, yeah, but this is all tied to it. We'll get there. The scripture corrects all of us. All of us. What we need to do is talk about the principle, and you're talking about the blood sacrifice, and there was a principle there. So we stand the principle. Later on, the word of God will correct who was it that went up the, up the, up the, uh, the hill with his dad. Well, he was excited that the Jews had rejected God's sacrifice, you know, God. Yeah, that's because we great. want to get rid of the Jews. But yeah. then go back to go back to John one, uh, John chapter one, verse eleven and twelve. But it says, "But whoever did receive him, and that's my friend, uh, what your responsibility is, he gave him the power to become the sons of God." You see, yeah, he came and he's rejected, but he, but in some cases, he already knew he was going to be rejected, so that God's wrath against your and my shame or sin or dishonor or, uh, or wrongfulness could be appeased and we could enter into God. So, but, but they don't have a, 
uh, a sacrifice for sin per no, se? No, they or? pay for their own sins. Okay. They pay for their own sins, yeah. And if you want to go to a universal Muslim, universal Muslim, I don't know if I said this Saturday night or if I said it at the men's breakfast, what they believe is like going into a hospital. So when you go to hell, you, it's like going into a hospital. If you just need a little bit of the hospital, then you get out pretty quick. If you go in there for some major heart surgery and so forth, you're going to be there for a while. And that's the universal view of, uh, of um, a Muslim point of view of a universalist. The bridge. And this is one thing that I do, I do think that it's applicable here. Go from what is known to what is unknown. Very often, what we try to do is we try to start there and then try to go back and, and help them move that. But start with what is known. Jesus is a prophet. They know that. Jesus was sinless, virgin born, went back to heaven, is coming back to judge the earth. Now, all of their thought processes on that is not necessarily biblical, but that's okay. Start with what is known and work towards what is unknown. That's our desire when we talk to our friends, when we talk about spiritual things. Well, tell me, what is some highlights of your life? Tell me everything in Islam that, that excites you. Take 10 minutes, tell me, why are you so excited about being a Muslim? Why are you so excited about being a Hindu? Why are you so excited about being a Catholic? Why are you so excited about being an atheist? Which is a religion, by the way. It's a system of beliefs. You take 10 minutes, and I'll take 10 minutes. And Lord willing, they'll hear from me a treasure and not just something they're supposed to confess. They will eventually get, we will eventually get to the, the confession of faith. We will eventually get there. But it's going to take some time. That bridge is by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So we go back to prayer and the power of the Word of God. It is extremely powerful. And as I said, and I think in all, all of the times that I've spoken, the Quran and the Hadiths actually contain part of the Word of God. They're nuggets. We have to go in and pick them up. You know, I've had Muslims say, you ever read the, read the Quran, Keith? Yep. You ever read the Bible? <laughs> oh, well, then maybe you ought to read it. And if you want to, I'll reread the Quran and you can read the Bible. We've got to get them into the book. They don't know it. So they're walking around thinking they know what they're doing. There are some apologetics out, or apologists out there. One is Ahmad Didat. He is now dead. Uh, and a lot of his teachings have helped and schooled them on how to do Christian evangelism. We say Muslim evangelism? Christian evangelism. Answeringislam.org. Answering-islam.org. Excellent place. Excellent place to stay and read for a while because they're going to give you some, everything from testimonies to uh, some pretty, pretty in-depth studies, doctrinal studies of things like the Trinity, of God, what does Messiah mean, and so forth, because they, the Muslims will accept that. But that's going from the known, he is the Messiah, to the unknown, why the Messiah had to die. They don't know anything about uh, Isaiah chapter 53. But we're talking about the Messiah, as I said in one of the services, uh, don't forget the Messiah, one of his names, if you want, the one who was anointed, the one who was coming, one of his names was God Almighty, if I'm not mistaken. Usually we talk about that at Christmas. That's really cool. So the person you're saying is the Messiah is known as God Almighty. Hmm. Explain that one to me, my friend. And when we get into the Trinity, don't try to defend the Trinity. Don't have to. Augustine came up with the doctrine of Trinity because he looked at the Scriptures. Come back to the proclamations of the Scriptures. Alistair McGrath wrote an excellent little booklet on this, on the Trinity. Come back to the proclamations of the Scripture. Let the Scriptures speak for themselves. They do a very good job. And we keep trying to help people. I am convicted about how much I'm trying to be the Holy Spirit. 
<laughs> and I'm not. But it sure would help if I could have a little more power in convincing everybody that they need to be in my part of the world or, or that people should walk the way I think they should walk. Sir. Answering hyphen Islam.org. I can get there, but it's at the very end. Yes. Yes. Answering the missionaries.org is the Muslim point of view. Yeah. We got a little bit onto that today about the Trinity, the beliefs about Jesus. We don't have time to go through all this. That's okay. Uh, I can give you this so you can have these handouts as well. Um, again, like I said, uh, the reason why these are not going to go on the web is because it's not a matter of, oh, this was a good one, though. <laughs> Sorry. Jesus said, I am. And the Jews know what he was talking about. So we explain that to them a little bit better. Jesus forgives sins. He heals the blind. He raises the dead. He gives eternal life. That is Luke, by the way. Luke has an excellent job, as I said in one of the services, of going from who is this man, who is this man, who is this man, who is this man? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. By the way, I'm going to go die now. And then we come up to Luke chapter 24, 40, 44 through 48, which is great. Because Jesus, at, after he is raised from the dead, says... All of what was written in the law and the prophets and in David talked about me, how I had to come and die and be raised on the third day. And then he opened up their minds so they could understand the scriptures. I would have loved to have been there. <laughs> now, I don't know if that was a three-year course in seminary, but I would have still loved to have been there with Jesus when he opened up their minds for them to be able to look back at the Old Testament and go, my goodness, how this all falls together. Yes, ma'am. Why the Muslims is the question. What began our passion? Um, it all began in learning about Islam. Keith was recruiting for a mission. Um, I was at home with our baby and working on the contact sheets from him recruiting. And during this process of just becoming more knowledgeable, God just gave us a burden to reach out to the Muslim people. We were headed a totally different direction. And honestly, that was still all head knowledge until we moved to France. And we went with the goal of working with Muslims. We knew why we were going there. But the real passion came from getting to know them, mm. from being accepted into their hearts, welcomed into their homes and into their communities, and just learning about them. And that doesn't go away. Um, I'll use that little moment just to put in a plug for the short-term team coming up in December. Uh, you've got four people in this room who've been there. You've got Corey, Jan, Steve, and Cindy. I don't think I'm missing anybody else. Oh, I'm sorry, Pam. Pam. Pam has been there, and it's Pam and Jay's uh, daughter and son-in-law who are coming out to work with us, Dan and Beth Aikens. Other way around. Son and daughter-in-law. Did I say that the other way? Yeah, you did. I'm sorry, son and daughter-in-law um, who are coming out to work full-time with us. So... It, coming back to new life is like coming to a family reunion. I mean, everybody was giving us funny looks outside in the lobby earlier today, just these big old bear hugs, because people who've come to France and who've invested their time and their lives go away changed. It's, it's something that I cannot uh, give to you, Keith can't give to you, coming and doing it, being there, falling in love with the people just by being there is something that is is just not found anywhere else. 
Um, so I would encourage you, if you just want information, there is a sign-up sheet in the back. The dates are in December, I forget the exact date. 3rd to dates. the 15th. 3rd to the 15th-ish. Um, signing up does not commit you, you're not signing your life away, okay? At this point, I think it's more informational than anything else. But if you really want to know how to love Muslims, come out and do it for a while with us. At 17, I came to grips maybe for the first time in my life with John 14, 6. And I was asked this quite, that, 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 the very question, are the heathen really lost today? I wish they weren't. And I said, you know what? If it's true that there are people in this world who have never and never will hear about Jesus Christ, if John 14, 6 is true, if Jesus was not just giving us a good liner, that's not fair. And then I came to grips with the fact that Jesus said, now go. Provision has been made. What are we doing about it? So at 17, the brilliant person that I was, I said, I don't have a clue what this means, God. But if you can take me and use me, do it. That started my journey. Started my journey. And then I went from only in the jungles to opening my eyes to cities. I didn't have a clue what was going on in the world. And so when I listen and I talk to people, you hear that we're in recruitment. I'm in a recruitment quite a bit. Somebody says, I'm a pastor teacher. I said, great. Where in the world are you going to use that giftedness? Because it was not given for New York to L.A. It was given for the world. And that giftedness is necessary. Well, I want to work with kids. Well, great. Where do you want to work with them in the world? Kids are in dire need of having hope. And I was just talking to this person. We were talking about the sincerity. And a very sincere Hindu decided to sacrifice his children. So there's a young man right now in India, Karen's family members just went over and talked talk to us about it, and they still have tears in their eyes as they talk to this young boy that's got a slash coming down the side of his, uh, out of his neck and down his throat because after his father cut his sister's head off, he was about to try to cut his head off to be sincerely trying to worship his gods. My friends, our, people, our, our world is in dire need. And although we come across and they try to tell us what everybody believes and everybody's sincere, they, when you see it from the inside, you go, my goodness, we are in desperate need of Christ. And we start living Christ authentically, we all say we're in desperate need of Christ. This couple up here has got wounds and problems, and we are in desperate need of Christ. We're on a journey, and we're inviting other people to get in on that journey, whether it be prayer, coming to know Christ as Savior, joining our little bitty, our really bitty fellowship over there and working together. People really do need the Lord. And I, just, I can't get over it. I wish there was something else. And you know what? God's going to have to figure it out, because I can't figure it out in my finite mind how people that are never going to hear and have been living in this situation are going to be condemned to hell. It's either that or Jesus' death doesn't mean anything. It's one or the other. I happen to think his, his death means something. So I will stay there and trust God for the outcome of those people. But I have had a mandate, and that mandate is share a treasure. Sell everything you have. Sell it all. That doesn't mean we have to walk around in rags. But that means the basis and the reason why I live is for his glory and his glory alone, which may mean that my rightness or not rightness is more is less important than his glory which really hurts sometimes because i really like to be right and i'm not mm -hmm. all the time karen can tell you that uh it is uh 7:40. we are used to people coming and going i think we said we might be here for two hours you are free to stay you are free to go i will not be offended at all whatsoever uh you guys have lives and we have lives here but we will continue answering questions if you want to 
uh, until somebody takes the microphone away from us, I guess. They will tell you that the Bible speaks about Muhammad. And I say that if you need to get up and go, that's fine. They will say that the Bible speaks about Muhammad. And so in Exodus 18, 18, they'll take you there. And they will quote to you, I will raise up one from a prophet like you. God is talking to Moses. From among, uh, you from among your brethren. And will put my words in his mouth. And he will speak to them all that I have commanded him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. See? Muhammad came after Moses. God was speaking to Moses, and there is a direct quote that, uh, that, that the person who's coming in the name of Allah was coming. His name is Muhammad. I said, wow, that's cool. I'm glad you're reading the scriptures. But uh, among their brethren, is Muhammad a Jew? <laughs> Woo! Sparks. By the way, please don't misunderstand. There's an excellent, another book. We, we like books, right? I'll give you another book. It's called Islam in the Shadow of Israel. Arabs in the Shadow, Arabs in the shadow of Israel. Excellent book. By Tony Malouf. Malouf. M-A-A-L-O-U-F. Right. Tony Malouf. Excellent book. And he takes a different stance on what we see sometimes in the NIV of when God was talking to Hagar about Ishmael. I'll put it that way. A very good, interesting, interesting read. But nonetheless, Hagar was the only woman in Scripture that we know of, I think, that God actually gave a um, special blessing to for our descendants. Outside of talking to Mary, but... If I'm, not speaking, if I'm not mistaken, the angel of the Lord, you can check this with those who have gone to school a little bit longer than I have. The angel of the Lord there was probably a Christology. Anyway, very interesting little read if you want to read that book. They will use that. And I said, well, number, what, the, what I got off on that was because, because the Jews and the Arabs have been living together for centuries. And it wasn't really until the late 1800s that they began to hate one another. So we think they've been hating each other since, since Ishmael and Isaac, and they haven't been. Ishmael and Isaac were together when they buried Abraham. Very interesting. We hear that. We still see Jacob and Esau. They were kind of like <laughs> apart for a long time because of fear. They were together when they buried their dad. And you see that when God said, I will bless him because that's what Abraham asked God to do, he has. The wise men came from where? the east, which is where the Ishmaelites went. Well, it was a very good, a good thing, good, a good probability that the wise men could have been Ishmaelites, or at least have Ishmaelite blood. Now, all the Ishmaelites are not necessarily Arabs. There were two Ishmaelite tribes that amalgamated into and accepted the history and the God of the Israelite tribe, an Israelite tribe. So we have ten that are still going on today. They are not all Muslim, by the way. We get confused. The descendants of Ishmael are not Muslims. They're the descendants of Ishmael. In the descendants of Ishmael, there are some Muslims. <laughs> Does that sound weird? It goes against what we're thinking. Another place they're going to say is the helper, the parakletos. They're going to change that word to be the praised one, which is a derivative of Ahmed, which is a derivative of Muhammad. So Jesus himself in John 15 talks about Muhammad coming and helping you to understand. No kidding. And then we go into a little bit farther of what Jesus taught and said, did Muhammad teach this? Cool. 
Maybe you should believe it too. Back to the scriptures. And that's where I gave you Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 48, where Jesus says, everything that was written there was about me. Not about Muhammad, about me. So I have to go back to my friends and say, for me to try to believe what you're saying, I have to call Jesus a liar. I can't do that. Can you? He's a prophet. Well, it's different. Well, then we go back to the Bible's been changed. And we've already gone through that a couple of times, and I go, ah, we already know it's not been changed. So it can't be changed. So what are we going to do about that? Well, I don't know. Okay, go think about it for a while. And don't worry about them, don't worry about them taking time to think. We're into the kill, or kill. We're into the decision. We want the decision now. God's not in a hurry to bring them into his family. But remember, the enemy's not in a hurry to make us fall either. What greater thing it would be for us to get to the end of our lives and to fail. And you hear about it. Sometimes people come to the end of their lives and uh, end up coming to know Christ as Savior. Any more questions? I'm trying to get to the website. I really am. <laughs> yes, sir. Ma'am. Mm-hmm. Don't mind. Your little flashes up there said that they don't believe that um, Jesus was the Son of God. Right. So if they believe that there was a virgin birth, who is the father of the baby? There is no father. God can do whatever God wants to do. So he just and God said, "Mary, you're pregnant." She was pregnant. So wouldn't that be? Wouldn't that? No, absolutely not. Be God the, is the father because he's the one who no made it happen. No. Oh. Not at all. God can do whatever God wants to do, and God is not interested in sexual activity, so I can't even believe that we're even talking about this. Well, not sexual activity. That's how they're, mm, that's how they're coming at it. That's how they're coming at it. And again, it's not what we know. It's what they believe. Muslim apologist gets up, and he says, I'm talking to a missionary. Now, he's talking to Muslims. I talked to a missionary down in South Africa, and I said, in the Quran, the Quran says that God said, Mary, you're pregnant, and she became pregnant. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and she became pregnant. Now, which one missionary would you want to tell your 16-year-old daughter was talking about the birth of Jesus? That God declared her pregnant and she was pregnant or that the Holy Spirit came upon her? Hmm. And my colleague said, well, the Muslim view. <laughs> Oops. Bad move. Because we realize the coming upon you was not a physical relationship. And so that's where they're stuck. They're stuck on that. It's a title. And that's why I gave you Ibn Sabil. If you were there when we were talking about that, Ibn Sabil is the son of, of the road, which means a voyager, someone who travels a lot. It's a name for Muhammad. So did a street and Muhammad's mother get together to create Muhammad and they laugh. And I say, neither did God have a physical relationship. It is a title of who he is. Now we go back to what is known. He's a prophet to the unknown. He's the son of God. And Jesus was specific when he said that to Peter. There is a nugget in the scriptures there. Flesh and blood, and that happens to be you and me, did not reveal this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, and that goes back to prayer. They are extremely linked. The word of God, the working of God, in the lives of the people that we're talking to are linked to the word of God in prayer. Can't get around it. So what am I here for? I'm here to do exactly what Jesus said testify you are my witnesses you are the ones that will talk, talk to people about a relationship that i now have with you that's cool that's okay i don't i don't mind questions uh we'll go here and here go, go ahead there, first. there first oh sure just real quick what brought on the animosity between the arabs and the jews 
go ask. Go ask. I think it was the, the coming across. It, they, can't, they come back to Jerusalem and so forth. Um, I think it's a matter of power. Territory, power, what gets us upset? You step on my shoes, I don't like that, so I tell everybody you're a bad person because you stepped on my shoes, and pretty soon we, we break out in war. They're cousins. They're cousins. And you know what? We're all cousins. And we don't walk, we don't walk around looking like that. We continue to think that we're better than everybody else, and we're not. There it is. I finally found it. There it is. Right there. A very good website. Um, some of them will say the Zionist movement and how Europe began to push that so that they were for the creation, even in 1948, of Israel as a nation. Well, what do we do about the Palestinians over there? Well, blast them all. They're no good. It's not their land anyway. Okay, then what did God mean when he said he would bless them? But it was carried on and continued on. Okay, but when did God bless his people when his people were not living for him? So do we say that Israel is living 100% for God, according to the Old Testament? And we go, no. So then some of the thought processes they have might be wrong. Well, of course. So do we give them a carte blanche? Uh, yes, or maybe not. And so all of a sudden it's like, well, what is anybody going to say for me? What about us? Where are we supposed to be? And we go, ah, Jordan, take them. <laughs> ah, Syria, take them. It's a lot more complicated than we want to make it out to be. And sometimes we're going to use the scriptures, believe it or not, to do things I don't think we should be doing. But there are great things going on. There's another one. The Jews for Jesus will put out a video called um, Forbidden Peace. Excellent video that talks. And we've had those two guys talk for us in Lyon where a Hamas, former Hamas warrior and a freedom fighter for the, for the Jewish state, both of them have come to Christ and now they work together on what is forgiveness. Oh. And they, I've watched them, and it's not put on. They weep as they talk about the Arabs from the Jewish point of view and the Jews from the Arab point of view. They weep for their brothers and their sisters and their cousins, and their families are grossly affected by what's going on over there. And yet they said, we have found forgiveness in Christ. Wow, that's power. That goes above and beyond what we can imagine or think when we're not on political agendas. Yeah, and I think that all goes back to prayer as well, which we've alluded to. Um, I think one of the reasons God asks us to pray is to change our own hearts. And I think one reason why the Muslims maybe here have gained so much power is because of our fear. The Christian witness has been shut off. We're so afraid and so angry and so full of hatred that we don't pray for them. How hard is it to go across the street or, or to, to walk up to the lady that's um, in the store? I saw a, lady, a Muslim lady yesterday pushing the carts at Walmart. Um, another Somalian that was uh, shopping. Just say hi to him. But it's going to be through prayer, through praying for all of those around us here in Ohio and all around the world. Um, don't give up. I think the enemy wants our lights to go out. It's obvious. And yet, through the power of prayer, what Keith is talking about, the Jews and the Arab nations being reconciled, that's not going to happen in our own strength. Only God is capable of doing that. And it's going to be one by one. But that's going to get personal. The person you have the greatest problem with right now, and you, we probably all have them. Maybe you're not. I do, too. Start praying for that person and pray, God, give me a love for that person. <laughs> you're kidding. No, I'm not. As I said earlier, 
If they're under the blood, we spend eternity together. Now, here's one for the theologians. I'll give one, because i got a problem with this verse in Scripture. <laughs> we come to Revelation chapter 22. We've got the throne. There's no more need of the sun. We have the river that flows from the throne. Are you with me on this so far? We have the tree of life that is bearing its fruit once a month, right? That's all cool. I take that to be literal. And then it says, and the leaves on the tree are for the healings, healing of the nations, which is ethnos, nationalities, ethnicities. I went, oh, wait a minute. I'm in Revelation 22 here. I'm not in Revelation 19 or 18. I'm in 22. My sin nature has been redeemed. It's gone. Um, what is going on there? Could it be that part of eternity is getting along with the people we have had a problem with because his glory and his blood is more important than if I'm right or wrong? Are we that convinced that we are to be here for God's glory and fame around the world? Are we convinced of that? Or is it ours? And what gets very complicated in this culture, biblical mix that we have is what's cultural and what's truly biblical in its principles. And it's sometimes very shaky, as I said earlier. It gets shaky out there. Is this America? Or is this France? Or is this North Africa? And where's the truth? Why is that verse there? I don't know yet. I'm still working on that one. And I used to think I have to fix it now. I don't. Because I continue to say, Lord, show me what this means. What does this mean? Is there something within us that has to say, we still, even without our sin nature, still have to come to the marvel of who God really is and see his majesty in ways that we've never seen it before. Is that part of the healing process? Is that part of coming and falling at the feet as we sang today of grace and mercy? To kiss the feet of grace and mercy and to know it's there. I, I, I don't know. Did you find it, Jan? Is it still there? Yeah, yeah it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, one more question, or a couple more questions. Again, if you need to leave... You're free to leave, and uh, we'll stay here until we're done because we're being together is more important for us tonight. Sir? Well, I know you said that uh, the Jews and the Arabs lived together in, in tranquility until the 1800s, but perhaps their an animosity has been against Christians longer than that because of the Crusades. Uh, that hasn't helped, yes. Yeah. Um, we hear about it all the time, by the right. way. I'm sure all you do. Um, and... You know, you see the radicals of the Crusades, and then you see the radicals of, of Islam. I see the radicals of the Crusades as unbiblical, mm -hmm. not according to the scriptures. Right. But with the radical of Islam, did, did Muhammad teach that if Christians and, and Jews did not convert, that they should be uh, eliminated, killed. killed. And therefore, the Shiites, are they truly the conservatives, truly standing up for what their Bible teaches, mm -hmm. and the rest are liberal? That's, my, that's a big question. And, and I would have. revert that back to the imams? and go back to them to let them battle it out so they can continue to argue among themselves and I can keep telling people about Jesus. 
Um, it is a matter of who are we going to take the Quran or just the Hadith, but then what part of the Quran, which part of the Quran abrogates the other part of the Quran, it gets very confusing and they themselves don't know. So for me to bring in, say, absolutely this way, and I know that some people have already done that and said, yes, this is what it is, uh, you know, I don't know because I think you're going to find all the way around uh, both sides on both camps. I, I have I've been invited to Ramadan feast and I've experienced their hospitality and, and, yeah. and their it's love. Ma it's wonderful. Yeah. So I see the kindness, the gentleness, the, you know, the sweetness yeah. of, of them as a people. And I couldn't imagine them taking out a sword against me. Right. But yet I, I read those passages. I, I right. And it depends on it, the, first, the first thing they would do is they would say, okay, we're going to do what happened. We're going to allow you to continue to be a Christian. We're just going to heavily tax you. They did allow that too. That was part of the conquering of the different nations. It wasn't just convert or die. It was convert or die or pay a heavy tax. So if you can pay the tax, that's fine. You can be a Christian. But you're going to pay tax because we rule. Now, are we not doing the same thing in that we have the power and the economy to make them do what we want them to do? Maybe. Maybe not. It does really get confusing. So it depends. Did, did, did Muhammad say, I've never read the Quran. Does he say, kill the infidel? I mean, you always see all these movies and stuff. I mean, you know. You're asking me to go back into the time. I read the Quran more as an act of, of evangelism than I do to understand everything. There is something in the Quran that says get rid of the infidels. Okay. Kill them, get rid of them. Um, I think yes, but I can't say uh, absolutely yes. You say that's a problem, but I'm not worried about that because no, our, I, I, don't I know you're not. I just but wanted to know. Again, those, those are tactics that can be used as scare tactics. I'm not interested in that aspect. Okay, I need to know my enemy. I just wanted if to know it's, what they believe. If it's there, it's possibility of there. But the person who's in front of me, is this the person who's going to believe that or not? I don't know. And as the relationship continues to go, well, what happens if Islam doesn't take over the world? What should we do? Or if people, people living in those countries, should they, can they become Christians? Is it okay? No, we should kill them. Well, why would you say that? See, we can go back to the Crusades and say, please forgive us. That was wrong, according to our leader. Now, the problem is, according to your leader, it's not necessarily wrong. But you're saying it's wrong. So is your leader wrong? Or is your understanding wrong? Or maybe you should look a little bit deeper at who God really is. And by the way, why do you have to help him out? Isn't he strong enough for him to do this by himself? But then they'll get back and say, well, yeah, but David was told to kill people, and so was Saul, right. and so forth, and so exactly. on, and so on. But I'm not there. I don't live there. So what, did, what, what, what does this all lead to? What was it representing? And then you get into a hermeneutical study of the scriptures with them. But you're back in the scriptures, which is exactly where we want them to be. I had a question back here. Sir. I noticed you uh, always talking about North Africa, but yet there's a number of countries in North Africa. Is there a reason that you always refer to it as North Africa? Or is it everybody moves across borders so easily? Not necessarily, but I just, we just say North Africa because that's where a majority of the people, in fact, over half of the population, the Islamic population in France is probably Algerian, and probably 80% plus are from North Africa. Now, North Africa, as we would see it as a, as a grouping of people, would be Libya, Tunisia, excuse me, I've got to do this the right way for you, Libya, Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, and Mauritania. Egypt would be considered Middle Eastern. Because in those countries, they have no concept that there is an Arab Christian. None. They know nothing about the Coptic people. They know nothing about Orthodox people. They know nothing about that. They think to be an Arab is to be a Muslim. To be a Muslim is to be an Arab. Period. 
So when we say North Africa, it's primarily Tunisia, Algeria, and Morocco because those are the three countries that were, were heavily affected by France. Algeria was run like we run Hawaii or, or uh, Alaska until after a 10-year war in 1962 when they gained their independence. The other two were protectorates. They gained their, their independence in 56 and 58. 56 being Tunisia and 58 being Morocco, I believe. And so that's why we call them North Africans because that's who we're dealing with. And there's a North African culture that is very similar, very similar. Food, dress changes, but still conservative. Um, and, and, uh, and more and more, I think what you're going to find that as we continually try to say Muslims are bad, Muslims are bad, you're going to see more and more veiled women because it's an identity problem. It really is an identity problem. There's nothing in the Quran that says you must be veiled, as they're saying, as the imams are saying they have to be veiled. There's modesty, but nothing about the veil as they're wearing it right now. I have time for one more question. Yes, ma'am. In the area where I live at, it's a high Samoyan area. Mm -hmm. And how do you reach out to the children, especially the young boys? Um, because I have children that come up to me because they have problems where the Samoyan children in the school, the, the young boys will show no respect to the women, especially women teachers. Um, so there's a, a large problem there, and they have the gangs and all this going on. And the kids will come up to me, and they're like, Miss Terry, what do we do about this? There's so much hatred there. And our young children are seeing this, and they don't know where to go. And I tell them, you know, well, first we pray. And I said, we have to love on them. But they're looking at as far as they're saying, the teachers are telling them, well, we can't do anything with the, the Samoyan children. You know, we have to go by what they're doing and things. And it's very hard for me to, to reach out to the kids. I don't right. know where I should go and how I, what I need to do besides tell them to pray and to love on them because we have children now on the neighborhood. I live on a small court that has 12 homes. Within those 12 homes, I have six families of children that are wanting to drop out of school because they are afraid to go to school because of what's going on right now just amongst that group. And they're always, at, you know, and we sit and we pray about it and pray for protection. But what kind of guidance could you give me as far as to be able to reach out to the younger children that's seeing this? It's such a, I mean, we're talking as far as kindergarten up that they're right. seeing this. Right. I would say get into the Somalian families, families, get into their families and talk to the parents, find out what's going on. Probably for you, the mothers. Is this normal? Is this, is this what we should accept? Should we just accept this type of abuse? Is this, is this right? Now that's probably going to take you six months to a year to get to that point. But that's where I would start. I would go after the families. We can either shun them, push them away, or we can get into their lives. And then you've got Romans chapter 12, verse 21, that says, do not become overcome, be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That does not mean abuse. And at that point, then you have to get the school officials and authorities in and say, enough is enough. Now, we want to talk to the families, but these, some of these things need to stop. This is not good. It is not good for the learning of those children nor our children. What are we going to do about that? And that's why we have civil authorities that are around us, and we need to be active there and trying to give solutions, not just fix it. Okay, can we at least sit down and talk? Have, have the, the women into your home. Get to know the moms. There is amazing power behind the veil.
<laughs> um, we love to tell a joke. I'll call it a joke so nobody gets really upset with me. Every time Karen and I argue, she comes back to me on her knees. Every time we argue. At that point, the little woman will look at Karen and go, is that true? And I tell him, pull up the dust truffle, get out of there and fight like a man. Interesting. Not a lot of guys are laughing on that one. Um, but there's a lot of power behind the veil. So please, please help me understand why it's okay for, for, for this to happen. I've seen it happen. I've heard that it's happening. And it's causing friction. And I don't want to have friction here. Friction is only going to lead to more violence. And I'm not interested in violence. Why is this going on? Is this permitted? Should I permit this? What do you think? Where are you hurting? Why are you hurting enough to say that this is okay? Because we all get to a point where in the hurt, then we lash out. And we say, my lashing out is okay based on my hurt. We'll find out why they're hurting. Find out why some of these boys are hurting. That might not be necessarily your job. But at least try to get some action moving in that area where we're saying, wait a minute, who can learn in this environment? They're not learning anything. We're not learning anything. And our object is not just to put people through a system and give them a diploma. Our object is that people learn. Is, are we missing something as a, as, a, as a group or a society or as a school system? Are we missing something here? Again, as a minority, they might already be feeling defensive. Um, if it's anything like the Arabs that live in our communities in France, it's the same thing. Automatically, they're feeling like they have to bully to, to make their way in life. Um, you might want to talk about some projects where the kids are working together to understand it kind of levels things off, puts them on more equal territory, if you will. I don't know, cleaning up around the school or doing a bake sale together or anything to get them involved where they see each other as equals. Um, brainstorm about some ideas. Uh, I don't know, are they living like in separate communities off of themselves? Okay, yeah, in the they're all integrated into the community. Okay, um, maybe a project for the poor, we were talking with a couple the other day, they go around collecting clothing for the poor, for the homeless. And in doing so, they'll rake the leaves of those that are giving while they're scrounging around in their closets to say, we just want to do a service to you. We'll rake your leaves, we'll pick up trash around your yard or whatever. Um, if you can kind of organize those types of activities involving the Somali families, Again, that might just make them feel like they are contributing to the community and they are accepted into the community, which will then filter down to the kids not feeling like they have to defend themselves and be aggressive. Or at Hopefully. least give you a platform later on that you can become the spiritual parents of those kids that are around you. And they will, there will be respect because you're, you treat them with respect even though that's not necessarily deserving. Not because of anything other than you love Christ. Yes, sir. Just as a follow-up to that, you were saying earlier about the, uh, the, the three cultures. Right. And having read foreign to familiar mm -hmm. uh, several times, wouldn't that apply telling the children or applying the dishonor, yes. bringing dishonor to the family name yes. and that type of behavior, wouldn't that be yes. an approach to, uh, to addressing that kind of a right. situation? At one, one point, we were, we were in a, in a, doing a children's... Uh, not a fair club uh, in, a, in a neighborhood, and one kid said, take your prophet Jesus and throw him in the trash can. And I looked at him and said, excuse me? And I looked back at his buddies and I said, does he have the right to talk about a prophet like that? <laughs> I almost beat the kid up. And then for the next 10 minutes, I was able to share the gospel. 
what you're talking about is, is, and that was a shame. That was a shame thing there. I wasn't even aware of that at that point, but, but that's what the Lord gave to me at that point. And that was a shame thing. So you can talk mainly to, to is, is this honorable? Is, is this kind of activity honorable where you come from? But you've got to be careful in how you ask that question. Say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is, this is not going to go anywhere. You know that. We know that. And this isn't honorable, is it? Is it honorable? Is this, is this good? Is this right? Is this honorable? But as you get, that's why I said go back to the families. Find out what's going on from the family center. Talk to the moms. And then as you can or with another male, talk to the dads. What is going on here that we're missing that we need to be aware of? Now, if you're just looking for handouts, we can help a little bit, but we're not going to do the handout type of thing. But what is really going on here? This, 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 this can't, be, can't be good for anybody. And the outcome later on down the road is going to be major violence, and I'm not interested in that in my neighborhood. Are you? And why, why, where is this coming from? Asking questions like that. I just can't believe that that, that this is why you want, that I, I don't want my country to be known as a country that treats you like dirt, but do you want your country to be known as a country that tries to destroy mine? And if they say yes, well then we have to get the police involved. That's why we have civil servants that are out there to help as well. But you're talking about a long journey. You're not talking about an, an event. You're talking about a journey and a process. We're over time. If you need to leave, you can leave. But as I said, if you want to stick around, we can continue going until we are done. This has been good, hasn't it? Mind expanding, heart expanding. Let's thank these guys for just uh, hanging out with us tonight. And um, I think probably what we should do is kind of have a stop here, and then those who need to go can go. And I know you guys are willing. Okay. And why don't we do this? Why don't we close in prayer? And then if you want to hang around for a little bit, come on up, share some things with them. That would be fine. But um, then we'll be done. Okay. Lord, thank you for, well, many things. Thank you for Keith and Karen, their family. Lord, we pray your blessings upon them. Hmm. We pray that you would increase the fruitfulness of the ministry that you've called them to for your glory. Lord, it's obvious that their heart is for the glory of Christ. And, Lord, would you honor that with increased fruitfulness, Lord, more open doors, more conversations. Lord, bless them, empower them through your Holy Spirit, Lord, to share the gospel of Jesus mm -hmm. with power. And, Lord, um, thank you for them being willing to give of themselves here all this weekend and tonight. And uh, we pray that you would just bless them for that as well. And for, for us, Lord, we pray that we would take what we've heard and we would internalize it and that you would cause the gospel of Jesus to become even more precious to us, a treasure that we would not want to just hoard to ourselves, but that we want to share with others. Help us to see the open doors that you bring along our path every week, Lord. And uh, we just bless you tonight, Jesus. You are awesome. You are worth uh, praying to, talking about, worshiping, and everything else. And uh, we love you and thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So God bless you. Have a great week. And if you want to stay around for a little bit and talk with Keith and Karen, feel free to do that. All right.